What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and it is lovely to be back here. I hope everybody had an amazing time up at MJ BizCon. Unfortunately, I sat out this year, um, but, you know, it is a wild event. I got to take some time. I got to relax, and I don't think it was that bad of a thing. So I hope everybody had fun at MJ BizCon. You're settling back in. You're getting back into the grind just in time for Thanksgiving to slow down again, and then hopefully... We have our Christmas rush going. Folks, we have one more event coming up for C-Lab for the end of the year, and that is our holiday party. It is a great time. It is fun. It is time for everybody who has worked so hard all year. Come, unwind, relax, meet great people. If you want to check that out, you should definitely join. You can find that at joincelab.com. Of course, if you missed any of our previous interviews, you can always see those on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash at the cannabis lab or you can find us on apple stitcher iHeartRadio, spotify wherever you get your audio podcast and listen to us on the go um today's guest today's a little bit different we have a, a a group of guests on today's show and i'm always the essence of this show always started out where the conversations that i had at conferences like mj biz or like some of the smaller conferences ncia or even the c lab events because when I started in this industry four years ago, um, I thought the conversations that I had at conferences were super interesting, especially the real candid ones, right? Because this industry is not straightforward. There's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of different things that you have to do. There's a lot of hoops that people have to jump through to do business. You don't just get to build a business, start shipping across state lines. A lot of people will come to me, they want to launch a cannabis brand, and it blows their freaking mind that they have to own a separate supply chain, almost an entirely different company in every state that they operate in. Someone, you know, with Heisman, people ask me, where's your farm? Where's your farm? Well, I got seven of them or five of them, right? Because you can't ship weed from California to Massachusetts. So the guests that I have today, a great group of people, they're going to be bringing their business to the great state of Florida in the near future. But to me, they're, they're the start of, what I would call, I don't even call it tier it, but the new phase of MSO, the people who cut their teeth in, in one state, figured out the business, figured out how to do it well, and then are now looking at licenses in additional states to be able to expand that business. Um, there are a lot of people in our great state of Florida who want to do that here, and only a few of them get the opportunity to. And I hope the guys today on, and on our show will be a group of guys who get to bring their business and ideas to Florida because we need more Florida focused people focused here. We need Florida weed in Florida and I'm excited about that. So with that, I'm going to bring in our first guest today, Christopher Rux. So Chris, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Chris. Um, you know, Chris, you were the one who who brought today's guest to our attention. I know that you and Rob started chatting about C-Lab. You said, hey, I've got some great guys for you that I want to talk to. We did our pre-call. And you're right. You do have a, a great group of friends and clients and, and partners there. So I would actually, for the first time, love for you to introduce our guest to us today. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so who we have here is Mike Uglioloro and Dallas Owens um, with Delta Oil Com Company. Um, based out of Oklahoma, I can let them tell a little bit about the company, but just kind of a background as to why um, I'm even involved here is um, I got involved with, with C-Lab um, just here recently talking with Rob um, and brought up our history, my firm's history in terms of advisory work within the cannabis space. And you mentioned all these issues um, just now, Todd, that people run into when they first get into the, the business. One of those issues we often find is having good advisors. Um, so that's where kind of we come in. Part of the reason why I got involved uh, with Mike and Dallas is in that advisory role, but then I've also become an, a personal investor um, and we're all now close friends. So that was a mistake now because now everyone's gonna be searching for your email and you said you were a personal investor. You're just gonna get <laughs> inundated with deal flow. <laughs> It's you not a bad hide, thing to happen. <laughs> you got to hide that stuff. So, so Chris, tell us a little bit about what you do in the advisory role there. And then obviously we'll bring in Mike and Dallas after that, because I, I, I think there's a really great story here and, and I'll kind of spin it as we go. But Chris, tell us, you know, about your practice mm -hmm. and what you do. Yeah. So we, we primarily focus, like I said, in the advisory role. I mean, we're a CPA firm. Um, and what we found 
in the cannabis space specifically is there's a lot of complexities. As you mentioned, rules and regulations vary across state lines. Um, you've got 280E from a taxation standpoint. There's a lot of um, very complex accounting and tax related matters that cannabis companies um, have to deal with. And oftentimes when they start, they don't understand all those uh, idiosyncrasies, right? Um, so we come in and really help a company from the very beginning uh, when they're first setting up uh, all the way to uh, we've worked with quite a few companies who have gone public on the Canadian exchange, as well as having to then come back to the U.S. exchange when they have a certain number of shareholders. Um, so really walk in and be an extension of management from a finance and accounting standpoint to help them grow the business so that they can focus on the business itself and not worry about all the stuff on the back end. So the last thing before we bring in our other guests, I want to ask you, because again, I think I can feel like we can fill the hour just you and I just based on the tax structure <laughs> of cannabis companies in general. Right. But, you know, when you look at, at the cannabis industry and, and taxes in general and 280E and all the issues there, to me, this is one of the most important roles that you can have in your company because it can easily make or break you in this space, mm -hmm. right? When you when you go out and you have a traditional company, let's say we started a publishing company or a company that made widgets or pens, right? Like there are accounting books and there are standard practices that I think you can follow to get by. In our industry, you could lose your ass if you don't understand taxes in this because very quickly with, with 280E, you can't write off business expenses and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I would imagine that that your services are, are quite vital to the people that you work with. They I mean, they are, because when you look at the you know effective tax rate of a cannabis company um, as compared to a regular uh, distributor company, it's astronomical. Um, and you can, you know, really, like you said, lose your ass fast um, if you get if you don't get a hold of it and then you add on state taxation and excise taxes and all these other things that add complexity. Um, but with 280E, you don't get a lot of the benefits that other companies can get, like R&D tax credits and things of that nature that can bring a lot of value and you know investment from the government without dilution is the way I call it. See, and that's um, R&D is my favorite part of the job. Yeah. And it's, it's just, <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> but seriously, it's half the business, you know, um, that, uh, you know, starting up, making a new brand, you know, all those kind of things. And whereas every other industry can get the benefit of that, um, and it can be very significant. Unfortunately, right now, the cannabis industry cannot. Agreed, man. So with that, let's bring in Mike and Dallas of Delta Oil. Gentlemen, I really enjoyed our conversation the other day. Um, I love what you're doing. When I say there's a story to be had here, my, the story, and in, in, in I am a storyteller by nature, is you know, you guys, all three of you right now um, are a great example of bringing skill sets outside of the industry to the cannabis industry. And that's another thing that I do with this show, right? You know, there's so many people that want to work in our industry. And what am I going to do? And then they think bud tender, they think cultivator, they don't think that you can really have a killer accounting career, or you can have a management career or risk management or compliance or any of that stuff, right? They don't realize that a cannabis company is a traditional company just like any other and has all the roles of a traditional business that you need to fill. It's just your product happens to be awesome um, in that sense, right? So one of the things that I think is really cool is you guys started in the state of Oklahoma, which as we all know is the Wild West. But if you really look at the way to bootstrap a cannabis company and start from the beginning, it's really one of the best places to start because the barrier to entry is low. So you can prove your concept out there. And if you prove your concept out there, then you can go into another state with or without funding, knowing that your concept works and you can really blow it up, which I think is really cool. And to me, it's kind of what you guys are doing. So without giving away too much of your secret sauce, Mike Dallas, if you guys don't mind just kind of introducing yourself and give us a little bit of the backstory of what Delta Oil is doing. Mike, you want me to go first? Yeah, Dallas, take the lead. Okay. So let me start by saying thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks for the introduction. And Chris, you should have Make sure that everybody knew what the name of your firm is <laughs> that's listening to the podcast so they can hire you if they decide to do that. Um, that's that's fair that enough. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is with Cherry Becker, and that's actually how he knows Michael, our CFO and my partner, 
uh, Michael worked at Cherry Beckard in the Tampa office, and that's how you guys met. So uh, there's a plug for you, Chris. Um, I'm not a cannabis guy. So the very quick kind of Cliff Notes version of this story goes, um, I had been in the restaurant business in Tampa Bay for uh, through 2018. I sold my last store, um, helped a buddy of mine sell his air ambulance business in 2019. Uh, and then at the beginning of 2020, right before COVID, I sent a mass text out to people and said, hey, I'm looking for our next thing. Michael texted me and said, what do you think of Tulsa, Oklahoma? And I said, I don't think of Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be perfectly honest with you. And he said, well, we're looking to start a cannabis company um, with our other partner now, Joey Galliano, who does all of our formulations, known as Chef Joey. Um, and we had a meeting in February, or actually in January. By February of 2020, we incorporated by May of 2020, Joey and I moved to Oklahoma. Um, October of 2020, we were in Tulsa. We were selling product and kind of figuring out the market. Um, we figured out that we needed, there are three big things in the consumer package good piece in Oklahoma that we learned, pricing, potency, and packaging. And we had good pricing because that was easy because we could tell what the market was allowing us to sell our product for. Um, we had very good potency. Potency was a challenge in the beginning because the testing wasn't as good as it is now, and it's still not great, but the testing was all over the board. As a matter of fact, we had a 10 milligram gummy that tested at the same place at 4.3 milligrams and at 47 milligrams, the exact same gummy. So we had some challenges. So potency was important. So we had pricing and potency and then packaging. And our packaging stunk, to be honest with you. And we really had to roll the company back. Fortunately, we weren't too far into it at the point. And we decided we had to get our packaging better. So we brought on some experts to help us with that. And we had to make sure we were complying with the laws, what needed to be on the packaging. So we accomplished pricing, packaging, potency by end of 2020 and really went after the market uh, in March of 2021. We, had a, we launched a sales manager, sales teams, catalogs, online, LeafLink, weed maps, all the things you've got to have. Um, so we've really been realizing revenue for about 18 months. Um, and maybe egotistically or whatever, uh, in, we were sitting around talking summertime of 2021, and we were all kind of missing Florida, probably to be perfectly honest with you. And we said, we should get a license in Florida. And I said, well, let's go to Florida and find out. That's where we're from. So I hopped on a plane and flew back to where I'm originally from, which is Miami, and I took our COO, Jim Elfman. We started the meetings. And now fast forward to nearly Thanksgiving 2022, and we are in the process of um, – putting together our group um, from a partnership standpoint, from a licensing, from a operation standpoint, which would be us and a funding piece, which will be in February of next year to acquire a license in the state of Florida. So that's kind of how we got here. Um, Michael, you want to kind of give them your background? Yes. So um, in short, I, I'm the guy that makes everything unnecessarily complicated and um starting Every with that is that we we brought in business people and we brought in advisors on the front end and we spent a lot of money on stuff that you typically don't have money for and so we had advisors with cherry becker uh, legal with carlton fields and we built the deck and we just we went for it and realizing that there's gonna be a bigger play down the road we started creating subsidiaries for each of the brands and to your point earlier it's just a much larger or corporate structure chart but um, we did our first round, uh, closed pretty, you know, almost fully subscribed. And then, uh, you know, we, we, we got going. And I'll tell you, raising capital is easy in, in cannabis, even when there's no capital to be had, or at least in my limited opinion. Well, let me let me jump I, in. I, there for a second I think say, there's a lot of people who are going to fight you over those words. I'll tell well, you. Well, hang on. I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I have a caveat to that is my point. It's easy when you have a track record of success in business, mm -hmm. in other businesses, which is where we came from, and people knowing who we are and that we're going to run a professional, ethical uh, company, and friends and family that were willing to take a risk. When COVID was going on, it was very interesting that mentalities changed of friends and family in just life. You know, I'm at home. There's more to life than getting up and commuting nine to five and all the things that happen to people. And we had quite a few people say, look, 
I've got a couple hundred thousand bucks in this retirement thing, or I've got some money somewhere else that it's not really doing anything. And the market was funky and they didn't know what was going to go on. And they said, look, I've got kids in the house for the next 10 years. I'm going to give you guys a hundred thousand bucks. I don't want to lose it. But if I lose it with or without it, it's not going to change my lifestyle. So that's how we were able to raise capital, which was a way we didn't even think about was our friends and family saying here, we're interested because of the margins, the growth opportunity. And from the beginning, our plan has always been to come out to Oklahoma and go to other states. Um, we have now looking back on it, it's easier to say this, but looking back on it, Oklahoma's kind of been the minor league baseball. We're in double A baseball. Mm -hmm. And we came here and we proved it. And now we're getting the call up to the big leagues. The difference between us and the guy that started in the big leagues is we're still going to carry our bag. We're going to, we're going to go to the nice hotel and go, wow, this is nice. Where the guy that's always seen it his whole life, the big boys, that's all they know. So we're a little bit more of a grinding company because we've had to go earn everything we've <laughs> Every single thing we've accomplished in Oklahoma, we've had to earn and fight, literally, fight for those spaces and fight for uh, uh, how we're going to grow. A hundred percent, because the, the guy in the building next to you who has another dispensary could not even be licensed. It could be a legit black market shop that you're dealing with, and you can't compete with those prices because they're not paying taxes, right? Um and, and, you know, the black market is what it is, and I don't shame those people whatsoever, but it's hard to compete in the legal market when you're doing things the right way and you have all these other obstacles. I want to kind of go back to what you were talking about during the pandemic to the beginning of this company. So you had, you know, you had mentioned you don't have a cannabis background, obviously, you know, hospitality and everything else. And obviously, to me, cannabis is intertwined in hospitality exponentially, but, you know, you were a successful entrepreneur, a successful business person, and then all of a sudden come 2020, I'm going to assume you might be a little bit older than me, you're now starting a weed company. You're essentially becoming a drug dealer, for lack of a better term. Correct. I'm mm -hmm. curious to know the, the, the public opinion that you guys had to deal with while you were doing that of friends and family. Um you know, because there are some people that I think are very supportive of it. And there are some people that are steadfast against it. Being from Tampa, I've been there. I think it's a little bit more cannabis friendly in the most areas. But I know a lot of people who got into this industry that had to deal with a lot of backlash. Now, come 2020, and I think you kind of mentioned it, I think the pandemic did, I hate saying positive things about something that really could have crushed our country and our world. And a lot of people lost their lives. But from a cannabis standpoint, the pandemic with everybody being locked up and, and not worrying and people quitting their jobs, I think it moves the, the, the progress of cannabis forward exponentially. I think it helped did a very good job of people being honest about their thoughts and feelings about it. And I think we came out of the pandemic with cannabis being much more widely accepted than we did going into it, especially it being a, uh, you know, a, what was it called? An essential service. So I'd be curious for each of you to know, as you were starting to dip your toes into the water of this industry, if there were any negative feedbacks or even just positive experiences that you had to deal with between friends and family. I, if I could, I've got a um, Dallas. You remember Michelle, my dad's nurse. Uh, yeah. We're at the table, one of our last meetings at my house in Tampa. And um, my dad's nurse comes in and had a stack of cash she's like hey hey guys i hear you guys are gonna do something in cannabis well yeah i, br I brought some money here for you like you know she brought five thousand dollars in cash she's like i'd like to get in We're like you don't say no to the nurse that's taking care of your father and <laughs> right. there was a minimum at the time so we you know yard barely we waived it and then um you know our next investor was a waiter in miami and uh we started really it, we're all over the board with the type of people that are in our group. I mean, we have retired school teachers, nurses, um, linguistics, translators, and everyone's been pretty receptive. Actually, people were more offended if we didn't ask them to be a part of it. Let me let me speak to that also. I got to start Michael, hanging out with Mike's friends. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I am a, I am a long group of people here. Michael, show them your, your jacket, your shirt that you have on. See if that comes up. Oh, there's there's some great stories associated with the shirt that I, I got to hear. Okay, so <laughs> he's wearing a shirt that says, I sell cannabis. Um, we're not hiding it. So I'm a, to your point, uh, my background is business. Um, I've never worked for anybody since the age of 20 years old. 
I left college, started a manufacturing company. So I have a manufacturing distribution background and a hospitality background. So to me, this was like right in my alley was saying, okay, I understand it. we got to make a product. we got to get a product out there. we got to figure out a way to sell more of that product. And being around the, the bar and restaurant business for a long time, you see the biggest brands in the world, Jack Daniels, Coca-Cola. You see them every day. And it's about the product placement. And then it's about activating that retailer. And then it's about pulling through that product. So you've got to get the placement. So we've got to sell them a bag of Chef Joey's 1,000 milligram gummies. Then we need to do an event there where we give a buy one, get one, or whatever the dispensaries will let us do to help them now reorder that product. So now we own that shelf space. This is done every day by M&M Mars and uh, Procter & Gamble. These companies have been doing it forever. To your point, this is traditional business. So I came into it with a non-cannabis mentality of this shouldn't be that difficult. Well, uh, a little naive there. But what I have learned is that when you run numbers in a traditional market like Florida, when I say traditional being a limited license state, the margins are substantial. They're oh, substantial. Yeah. And when you start running those numbers and sit down with people that trust you and they're going, where are you getting these numbers from? And I didn't believe the numbers, to be perfectly honest with you guys. When I sat at Michael's uh, dining room table in February and March working with Joey, our other partner, and Michael, and these numbers, I said, these can't be right because I didn't understand the metric system. <laughs> I didn't know that you sold stuff by grams and there were 454 grams in a pound. I'm like, now I got it, boys. Now I understand that an eighth's three and a half grams and you're selling it for 40 or 50 bucks. Okay. Now I understand where these numbers are coming from. I understand why some people, people are selling into... for sixty to eighty. Right. Well, to give you some to give you some scale of Oklahoma, we're selling wholesale distillate carts, one gram distillate carts, packaged, finished, tested, everything for six to seven dollars a gram. Crazy. It's on. It, it's incredible. Dispensaries are selling retail good indoor flour, testing at twenty percent and two percent terps or better for 25 bucks an eight. And they're competing because there's just so many stores. So the margins aren't there in Oklahoma. So what we've said is, hey, if we can have success in Oklahoma in these tight margins in this tight market, what's it gonna look like when we can go to a market that has more price stability and margin yeah. stability? So a lot of our investors that we talked about that were investing during COVID at that time, we're looking at our performance and we're saying, guys, we don't know if we can execute these numbers, but we know we can execute the volume. So We've had success in the volume of products sold. The problem is we haven't had the margin because of how competitive Oklahoma is. So that's what's yeah. happened to us. Let, can you guys tell us a little bit about this? So, I, you know, Oklahoma is known as the Wild West, but I know I don't think I actually know the exact structure. So when you get a license in Oklahoma, is that both cultivation and retail? Do you have to have separate licenses? So like no. when you guys acquired your license, what did it give you the ability to do? So in Oklahoma... You have a process, you can get one of about six or seven different licenses, a processing license, a grow license, a dispensary license, transportation license, testing, and um, research, I think. So when the state of Oklahoma started their program a few years ago, it was 2,500 bucks, pick which license you want. You can buy one of each if you want. Come on, come on. And so, right. So somebody, I think the initial thing was about, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, Roughly 10,000 grow licenses, yep. roughly 2,500 dispensary licenses, mm -hmm. and just shy of 2,000 processing licenses. So there was about 14,000 licenses issued in Oklahoma that's a state of only 3.9 million people. For some scale, there's 21.9 million people in Florida with 22 total licenses. Yep. There's 2,500 dispensaries in Oklahoma. There's 500 in Florida, <sighs> just to give you some scale. So it literally was a wild, wild west. And what the state of Oklahoma probably said, and I can't speak for them, but my theory is, hey, let's get $2,500 times 14000 put that money in the bank, and then let's see what happens, and let's see if the cream rises to the top. So our, we got a processing license, which allows us to make consumer packaged goods, edibles, tinctures, topicals, cartridges. We have about 65 SKUs currently. And then once we have those products, and you can see behind Michael's head, the big Chef Joey logo, um, that's one of our brands. Um, then we have to put together a sales team and go out and start selling to the retailers. No different than the guy that sells Red Bull, selling to Circle K and Wawa and QT and all these different places. So, so Mike, I'm going to throw this question to you because I think you're the right one to ask it. Was the decision to start in Oklahoma what I said earlier? Is it because it had one of the lowest barriers to entry to be able to prove your concept before you took it elsewhere? 
the, our investment thesis basically was it's an overlooked and underserved market. Um, so we knew there wasn't going to be a lot of competition from the big boys. And yes, it was a low barrier to entry. And we had a celebrity cannabis chef and Chef Joe Galliano. Um, after and that was that that's the short answer. But I'll tell you, being out here, um, once you've gotten into the party, there's a lot of people at the party. But it made you have to be scrappy, be better at what you do. And it's made us better at what we do. We didn't have the luxury of, um, you know, the public markets or uh, things of that nature. So we, we've had to, it's made us really become the best in the game. You, you guys are kind of putting together the, because the, I always tell people with a cannabis company, it's really hard to bootstrap because like, if you look at the state of Florida, you can either go through the application process and that's mm -hmm. still pretty pricey as it is. Or if you wanted to buy, you know, the most recent license that changed hands was MedMen for $75 million. And, you know, it's not a small chunk of change. So I think, you know, you guys are kind of showing the way that, you have to start at the low barrier to entry states to prove your concept. And if you can do that, if you can have the track record, then you have the ability to expand into other markets. And I think this is a blueprint that a lot of people, if they truly don't have the funds, if they don't have access to investor dollars, if you want to be able to do it, like this may be the best path forward for those people. Let me, if I could speak to that for a second, I agree exactly what you said. And we've spoken internally. We may have been one of the last groups to come to Oklahoma that actually could get in. Because now that there's so many more regulations, the barrier of entry is not quite as a, as attractive. You ruined it. We for have everybody. metric. Well, <laughs> joking, I think I'm we were joking. just lucky. No, I think we were just lucky um, to be one of the last groups to come in because there was a lot of men and women that just came in that lived here and said, "Hey, I'm going to buy one of these $2,500 licenses and they're going to sell for $75 million like they do in Florida." And people rapidly learned that that's not the case. You got to execute your business plan, but. What we found in Oklahoma is that we were one of the last ones to come in before they entered metric, before they had compliance, before they had all these things. So there really was, the, it was even more of a wild, wild west. Now the state has done a pretty good job, by the way, to the dislike of a lot of people in the industry in Oklahoma, but they've put things in place like metric. We have Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority that's hired more people to investigate and make sure they have programs in place now where they're actually going to secret shopping and buying product and verifying testing and normal market stuff that you should have. So from my background in the restaurant business, the health department came in every 90 days. You're just used to it, but testing things. Cisco could check where if you had a tomato recall, they could go back to the farm in California and make sure they can recall all those tomatoes. Oklahoma now has that in place and that ran out the last bit, or I shouldn't say all of it, but the majority of that black market business got run out when the regulations came in. Interesting. The last question, and I want to move to a different topic here, is, Mike, if you think Chef Joey had a top 20 football team on his head, that you would do better? Just, you know. Go Noles. <laughs> Number 16 in the country with a great three-year coach. Just, just say, I mean, like, it, it looks really nice. It matches the color scheme. But if he had a top 20 football team on there, like, it might, it might work a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, though, we in our group were basically a substantial majority are Florida State, and um, then we have a lot of USF ties, and the minorities <laughs> are the Gators. Um, I knew I liked which you is guys. always good. That's always yeah, good. <laughs> which is we all, you know, the enemy of my friend is my enemy, or something like that, right? Yeah. You know, but we're in the we're in the Panhandle here in Oklahoma, right? And uh, people look at us are like, you guys made it, and you guys are surviving in Oklahoma. Okay. Let's let's pair up and go to another state. We just figured let's go to another panhandle. But that's well, really me, been people have approached us more often than we've even thought to approach them. And let, let me add one last thing before we switch subjects. You know, you, you'd asked about capital raise. Really, the thing that changed everybody's minds when we told them we're moving to Oklahoma. That's where that's where everybody said, "Okay, you guys are serious," because we've got some very good friends individually that have invested in the company, and we sat there and talked to them about it and took a walk on Bayshore with one of my buddies for a couple hours just to talk about it. And when we were all said and done, he's like, oh, so you're moving to Oklahoma? You're not going to try to run it from Tampa? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, then I'm in. If you're going to leave Tampa Bay to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you believe in it that much that you're going to move your friends and family out there. So that was the commitment. You know, the financial piece got us out here, but us making the commitment to put the boots on the ground and go after it um, was, was really, I think, the thing where everybody said, okay, they may not make it, but it won't be lack for lack of effort.
And I think, he, I think he means that literally because they hand you a pair of boots at the airport when you move to Oklahoma. <laughs> yes, um, like Tulsa King. Like and the opening scene of Tulsa King. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, well, actually, I, it's funny you say that because Oklahomans, Okies, are very proud to say, and this is a funny thing to say, but it's true, that a woman can stand topless on the side of the street with an, eight, with an uh, AR-15 strapped around her and a joint in her hand and a cop can't stop her because all three of those things are legal. Hmm. Perfectly legal in Oklahoma. Yeah. So that was different for us. I'm going to have to start <laughs> looking at some real estate here. Uh, so you guys are from the part of Florida that I would call that represents Florida very, very well. I think Tampa, like, listen, I live in South Florida. You're from Miami. This is the sixth borough of New York at this point, right? <laughs> South Florida is very, very influenced by Northeastern culture. When you look at the state of Florida, I mean, realistically, a better representation of the entire state would be Tampa and Orlando. And I think that people like you, you come down here and it's, it's Yankees fans, it's Mets fans, it's Boston fans all over the place, right? But when you go to Tampa and you go to Orlando and you go Northern Florida, you, they're the real Florida people, right? There are people that were born here. They grew up here. It's a lot easier to find someone born in Florida North as it is to South Florida. So when I look at people who want to service the state and the area being from that area, I think goes a very, very long way. Um, was I'm assuming Florida besides just the fact that it's the number four cannabis market in the country with only 700,000 people who can legally buy a weed that Florida was always the goal because it's always fun to come home. Yes. Um, when we did, it's fun. It's a great, great setup. Uh, I left. With That's Joey my job on, as a podcast host. You, know, you did a good job. I left <laughs> May 18th for Oklahoma, uh, 2020. This is a true story. On May 17th, we had a meeting on Clearwater Beach, myself and Michael and our marketing guy, JW. And I drove over the Clearwater Beach um, bridge. And there it is, May. Beautiful time of year, Clearwater Beach. The water's perfect. The beach is perfect. We're sitting on the beach. And I'm thinking to myself, did you really make the right decision here? Like, you're going to leave this tomorrow to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma and see what happens. And we knew we were always gonna come back. We, we knew that. And I traveled back and forth quite a bit. I have family still living there. Michael does, Joey, our, our partner is there right now for Thanksgiving. So we travel back and forth. Fortunately, Breeze Airline had a direct flight from Tulsa to Tampa, which was great. Um, but we knew that, Tam that Florida was gonna be the long-term goal. But we truthfully, and we'd be lying if we didn't say this, we didn't know what we were doing yet. I know that if we decided in May of 2020 to go after a Florida license, we wouldn't have had success. We needed to come out and, and earn it here in Oklahoma, learn the business to what you said earlier. We had to learn the business, understand the business. Now, Florida is a totally different animal. You know, you got full vertical integration. You have to own it from basically birth to death. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to process it. You've got to turn it into edibles. You've got to turn it into finished goods and sell it through your dispensaries. Yeah. The good news is, is that we understand the retail side because of being in the restaurant business for as long as I was for 15 years, understanding locations and understanding what you need to do and shaking hands and kissing babies and having a retail experience, which I think Florida struggles with a little bit, to be honest with you, from what I'm hearing. I was at the wedding that we were talking about before we started the podcast and a couple of the guys that buy cannabis in Florida, I said, well, what are the dispensaries that you go to? What do they look like inside? I said, I've never been in it. I just order online and go through the drive-thru. Yeah. So there hasn't been a great retail experience yet to draw people in. And I think in a retail experience in Florida, especially people have to think about what does it look like in five years? If it goes wreck, do you yeah. have enough parking? Do you have enough terminals? And these big guys like truly are saying, Hey, we're going to have 150 locations and we're going to figure we're just going to have so many locations that if this one doesn't have great parking, you can go to another one, five miles down the road, which is a, a business model that'll work for them. But we have to think about what does it look like in five years and 10 years? And there's a big piece of it. You mentioned the 700,000 patients in Florida currently. We're going we're gonna to see a rapid growth in that. And there, the growth is going to be people that are new to cannabis, that are going to be looking for a brand or something to become loyal to. And you asked about pushback earlier. My mother, who's nearly 80 years old, a few years ago, cannabis was a kid selling it on the corner. When you arrest him, put him underneath the jail, put the concrete on top of him and never let him see sun again. And now my mom uses 
our tinctures to help her sleep at night. She uses our body guac as a topical for her sciatica. She uses our gummies sometimes to help her sleep. And she actually now works for our company helping in packaging. So it, it, she said, yeah, she's probably there at the warehouse right now with Michael. She's <laughs> actually said to her friends, oh, my son, my son's in the cannabis business. And then her friends are like, oh, yeah, I've been smoking for 50 years. <laughs> They're like, she's like, what are you talking about? No. So it's been like the worst kept secret in the world. That's that always the funniest thing, isn't it? Right. Where like, even with my parents, right. I, I remember and this is actually the one of the stories that when I, I share the story with Ricky, and he told me I should write and I go, I, I write like a, a second grader. So maybe I should speak instead. But, you know, I remember I had just moved out of my house. Uh, I was living on my own and I sent my mom to my house because I had forgot something and I needed her to bring it to my office. And she walks in my house. She goes, your, your house smells like weed. And <laughs> no. in my head, I can go, I can try to defuse the situation or I can realize that I was 23 or 24 years old. I paid my own bills. I had my own income. I wasn't a piece of shit. And I said, well, mom, me and my friends were smoking weed in the house last night. So that's probably why. And she's like, you smoke weed? I'm like, I do, mom. She's like, well, just be careful with it. That conversation opened up the fact that they had consumed cannabis, that my grandpa used to consume cannabis all the time. And it's unfortunate because I wish I knew that while he was still alive because I would have loved to smoke a joint with him. I always smoked cigars and stuff with him. But then from there, I all of a sudden became my mom's friend's cannabis expert. And then this person smokes weed and this person. And then honestly, the only regret I have about telling my mom is I have too many of her fucking friends calling me asking for <laughs> where they should, you know, where they should shop and what they should buy. Like I make this joke all the time. When I started in the industry, I used to hide what I did for a living because I was scared of what people will think. So if I went to a party or if I went to an event, especially now that I'm a parent, I would, you know, I would say I'm in marketing. I would say I'm in CBG. I would say everything besides cannabis. Now I hide what I do for a living because I don't want to fucking talk have someone talk my fucking ear off for hours about it because I have 200 hours of me doing it on the internet. I just point them to this conversation and say, if you want to learn anything, here's my YouTube page. Um, it's you completely know, different. You're the hot girl at the party now when you work in cannabis. It's funny you say that. We were talking about that wedding that I was at last weekend. And a couple of people that had approached us early on that wanted to talk about investing, hear about us going to Florida. And they're like, hey, can we talk to you about it? I'm like, hey, I'm at a wedding right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to you next. I'll talk to you next week. But that's what they want to talk about. But it's actually a wonderful thing. You know, truthfully, it's cool because I'm new to it. So for me, it's only been a couple, a few years. So I've, though, I, I, I made a decision to become as smart about the business as I could be. And so it's fun to hear from other people what they've learned. But you're absolutely right. Well um, hey, Michael hey man, what do, you, his... what do you think of Tilray? Should I invest in it? Shut up. <laughs> oh, that's well, here's what I tell people, you know, in the investment standpoint, if you're going to invest in a publicly traded company, understand you're investing in a publicly traded company. If you want to invest in something like ours, let's face it, you're, you're kind of trying to hit a home run. You know, when, when you're investing in a small independent company, you're hoping that guys like us can grow it and have some success and have someone else come in at some point and say, hey, you guys did a great job. We'll take it from here. Um, and I think a lot of business people got into it that tried to run cannabis from a high level. And that's not necessarily the right way to do it. Um, to your point, if we wanted to start a marketing company, maybe we could go and get some high level people to do that. But you need some boots on the ground and people grinding line of sight and then build a company. I, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think a lot of business people came into this early and they didn't understand cannabis people for that matter. Correct. And I don't mean Absolutely. people who came from the black market, but they thought that they can do it with just business people. And they didn't think that they needed cannabis people outside of maybe their cultivator that knew how to grow. Right. And I think we're at a point in time, you know, they talk about the, 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 the OGs versus the suits and everything else like that. And I, I truly believe that both sides definitely need each other. But I think, you know, when you run a traditional business and for the longest time you looked at a stoner, so to say, and you had an opinion of them, right? If someone smoked weed, if they came into work medicated, right? And there are just certain people and there's a lot of them out there that they do function better that way because maybe they should be on an ADHD medication or something else, but cannabis works better for them and they're able to function. And I think, 
you know, there are people that understand the culture, understand the plan, understand the consumption about it. They just never had the right opportunity. So where I see it now is we're at a point in time where business people are coming in here and they, they're starting to realize that they also need the cannabis people and they need them not just to be bud tenders, to be, to be in some important positions. And that's where I see people being successful now. And now the funny thing about that is when we talk about cannabis people, that doesn't mean that somebody came strictly from the black market. Obviously, we want to give those people the opportunities because they help get us here. But there are plenty of people that had professional jobs, whether they're in technology sales or dentistry or whatever it is, that have been huge cannabis advocates and aficionados. They just were never able to be public about it because of the public perception of cannabis. Well, you know, you talk about businesses needing cannabis people and cannabis people needing business. Look at Jungle Boys in Florida, right? Jungle Boys is phenomenal, right? They're as good as they get from Very grow, true. from cultivation. True statement. But they've, got a, but they've got someone behind them that's got a lot of money. And that person has a lot of money is willing to take a risk with them because they're good at what they do and say, here, look, I bring capital. You guys bring expertise. Let's figure this thing out together. And it allows the expertise to have a little bit of breathing room to do their job. And it's no different than a professional athlete getting their contract. Okay, we don't need to worry about that anymore. What I want you to do is focus on your, your craft. Yeah. Don't worry about don't worry about how you're going to pay the mortgage anymore. Don't worry about that stuff. We got the financial side of it standpoint. I want you to grow the best products you can grow and understand what you do well. So we brought in a business sense with Joey. So my background being kind of business and entrepreneurship, Joey was a black market guy. Excellent. And sold gummies in Florida. Yeah, was. I said was, not anymore. <laughs> was. Um, and Michael was traditional uh, public accounting. And being, being a guy that's not used to cannabis, it's been very interesting learning to adapt to cannabis people. Mm -hmm. um, typically, they're a little more laid back than the average suit of a business world. But you find out, hey, they make pretty darn good livings in what they did. They just didn't have the ability, to your point earlier, to speak about it publicly. And it became almost a subculture that they did business together. They went to dinner together. They lived together. They, they didn't let a whole lot of outsiders in. And I think that's a little bit of what's happened is that some of the outsiders that have come into the cannabis world have been bad actors yeah. and, have, and have scared them off and not let them because they weren't trusting to begin with. And now they broke the trust right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of those bad actors are getting scared out of the industry because there are a lot of companies that are capital starved, um, you know, and they're, you're going to see a lot of consolidation. So I hope that kind of clears the assholes out of the industry, but we'll see. Um, I want to talk about Florida because this is the next frontier for you guys. And, you know, what you told me on Monday about how you're going to approach the state, I think is genius because I don't see anybody else doing it. And I'll let you bring that up as far as, you know, regional focus. You know, this state started out heavily medical because we didn't have you couldn't even sell flour, right? They had those magic oyster pods or whatever you want to call them, those white pods that went into vaporizers that people would break open and take the weed out of. And then eventually they they legalized, you know, full flour consumption here. You still had a very heavy medical dispensary look. Most of the dispensaries that you go into that have been around for a little bit, they're they're pure white. They're not inviting. There's not a ton of product being shown. Even the level of education or, or understanding what they have is not the best. Now, a lot of people are going back and redoing their stores. And I think it's people who came in here like the Flowery and like Jungle Boys, um, Gold Leaf, who's coming to the table, Cookies now, are forcing some of the people that have been here for a while to rethink their strategy and start looking at what a traditional dispensary looks like, because as much as this is medicine, it, it's, it's so hard to categorize what cannabis really is because you can say it's medicinal. Yeah, it is. You can say it's recreational. Yeah, it is. You can say it's like booze. Yeah, it is. You can say it's like pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it is. You can say it's like CPG. Yeah, it is. You can say it's like a crop, like a tomato or something else. It is, it, it is all of those things. It is unique to itself. Um, which is the hardest thing for people to understand because they need something to compare it to for them to wrap their heads around it. So, you know, when you look at some of these rebrands and everything else, the stores are a lot more welcoming. And I think, you know, education is a huge component to it. So I'm very happy to see the state expand beyond the original 22. And you have even Sunburn, you know, Brady just, Brady Cobb just went from one plant who, when he did one plan, he tried to make it look and feel more recreational, but it was still had a very white, sterile kind of feel to it in certain places. The outside of the building had some cool 
things. But if you look at Sunburn, it's a lot more towards the rec side. You look at Jungle Boys, a lot more towards the rec side. Cookies, I talked to uh, Dan Fertel, um, the president of TRP Co., which runs the Cookies Retail. And when I told him that I went down to Cookies, and I don't want to say it, I definitely didn't tell I, I told him I was underwhelmed because it's exactly what I expected it was. It was a cookies. It was the same thing that you would expect if you walked into a cookies in California or Oregon or anything else. So I told him it's a beautiful store, just like the rest of the stores, but I felt like I was walking into a cookie. So it's just what I expected. But that to me is what's driving this market to a better place. So like we have 22 people now. I'd love to see 2,200 operators in the state of Florida because I think that's what's best for our market. Now, the reason I say that is, you know, in our conversation on Monday, you would let me know you guys are born and bred Tampa area. I know, you know, Dallas, you said you're from Miami originally, but you guys to me seem like a bunch of good Tampa boys there. And to be able to focus on that region, which is an amazing region, it's got a great cannabis culture there, I think is smart because there are too many people that are their first stores in South Florida, their next stores in Orlando, their next stores in Jacksonville. From there, they go to Pensacola. And then just from a geographical standpoint, your two furthest stores are nine hours from each other by car without taking breaks, right? That is not easy to staff. It's not easy to cover that. So if you only have three or four stores and they're nine hours apart from each other, it makes your job just physically a whole lot harder than if you had three stores in Clearwater, five in Sarasota, 10 in Tampa, you, you can go to all your stores and over the course of two days very easily. Right. So the fact that you guys are looking to start regionally and expand from there, I think is a, is a really smart idea in this state that literally nobody is doing. Well, I think that part of the reason that the original people did it the way they did. And I mentioned this when we had our call on Monday was that was what the regs kind of wanted them to do. Um, what our mentality is, is we're from Tampa. So I call Tampa Bay, the Gulf of Mexico to Lakeland, Brooksville to Sarasota, roughly three and a half million people. We want to open 10 stores. Well, to your point that you just said, why wouldn't we want to be able to go touch those 10 stores each? And where it comes from is my background in the restaurant bar business. The real thing was, okay, what happens if the manager doesn't show up? Who's going to go put the key in the door? So if you're in Miami and your manager doesn't show up in Jacksonville, you got a problem on your hands because number one, the manager's not coming back. But number two, who's opening the store today and tomorrow and the next day? If where you have a store in Clearwater and someone doesn't show up in St. Pete, we can move people around. So that was the restaurant business. I had multiple units and managers could go and cover for each other for vacations or kids having a birthday party or whatever it might be. And in retail, you're going to be open 80, 90 hours a week. So you're going to have some of those holes are going to happen. Um, our idea is to have a centrally located 50,000 square foot facility um, somewhere in that Marion County, Ocala area. Would an in, uh, indoor facility? Indoor, yeah, 50,000 yeah. square foot of everything. Beautiful. So it'll be 20,000 square foot of cultivation, and then we'll have processing, we'll have a kitchen, our offices, we'll probably do a mock dispensary there. Probably that'll be our first dispensary. Same thing Jungle Boys did. You put it right there because you can control it. Um, but then you've got the distribution. You've got I-75, you've got 95, you've got the Turnpike, you've got 19, you've got 27. It all kind of converges there in that Ocala area. So as we grow and dominate our own backyard, which is important, start there. Then we can say, okay, let's take this same model, say over to Orlando. So then Orlando becomes Lakeland East to the Atlantic, you know, from Ormond Beach down to say Vera or whatever. What I will tell you as a Disney parent, I need a dispensary that has good weed right outside <laughs> the gates of Disney. I know Todd, I, 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 Todd, I am 1000% on what you said. So me as a business guy, I have said, and we should timestamp this. So within 10 years, I wouldn't be shocked if there was a dispensary on Disney property. It wouldn't shock me. Would with be Disney amazing. Years, I have the Disney location. Years, <laughs> yeah, you do it at the whatever that uh, their mall thing is that they've got. So no, so right outside the gates of Disney to get to like the, the Bonnet Creek area, right outside the campus, mm -hmm. there used to be a, um, God, the it was gas a, station? no, it was a Chicago pizza place, Giordano's. It, Jeremy, literally yeah, right yeah. it just went out of business. That should be a dispensary. Well, yeah, I mean, so we've actually talked about that. So the, the big thing that's happening in Florida, as you know, is that it's in 700 to 800,000 patients for 22 operators. Of those 22 operators, basically five of them have 60% of the market. You know, everybody else is, 
when you look at, I mean, I truly more than that, by I, think, okay. I think they have but, closer but to 75. Five, right, only five of the 22. So there's 17 other ones that have three or four dispensaries, blah, blah, blah. What the big piece that people haven't put in is at some point over the next 36 to 48 months, there's, it's going to go recreational. It's going to go. So now you're going to go from seven or 800,000 people to 5 million overnight. That's 5 million people are age 21 or over can now buy cannabis. Well, the other part that people have to process is there's about 100 million visitors that come to the state of Florida every year. Oh, yeah. Well, they're usually there on vacation going to Disney World or going to Clearwater Beach or Miami or whatever. They're going to be saying this is great. So I think the state probably intelligently has recognized we're going to need more or the pricing is just going to continue to increase because there's not enough competition for everybody to have affordable eights, affordable packaged goods. Um, so that's another big piece that's going to happen. So our business plan is Tampa Bay because we can control it. That's a little bit of the small business mentality that we have of having multiple unit restaurants. We don't want to go too big too fast because then you can't control it. We a know friend the of mine owns there. <laughs> well, right. I'm going to, I'm, right. Great point. I'm going to bring up a, the bowl bar business. There is, there's one down where you're at, Todd, called the Blue Martini. Familiar. And they had, you know, they had Fort Lauderdale, they had Brickell, they had Orlando, Tampa. I think they were in Jacksonville. They had one in Naples. And I got to know those guys pretty well, uh, Mark Vasu and his uh, partner, Steve Day. And I asked them one day, I said, what was, you know, I could see your successes. What was one of your mistakes? And they said, leaving the state of Florida. Because they knew the bosses were going to, if the bosses were coming out to Vegas to check, they got two or three days heads, heads up. They couldn't just spot check it. Yep. To your point. If I'm in Tampa and I'm saying, hey, I heard we're having a problem with our store on, on Omerton, I could just run over there and pop in before they open and see what's going on. So that's why we want to be regional. It's a little bit of a control thing, to be perfectly honest. So, it, so no, and, and, but I think that's an amazing I, – I really do think that's a smart move. I've been saying that forever, and you see everybody popping up all over the state because they want to cover the entire state. The, the user base is spread out. But – you know, today in Florida, there is no brand loyalty whatsoever. There is no dispensary loyalty right now. It's it's who has the best stuff at the best prices right now. And that that's how people shop. Like I will say I'm probably most brand loyal to the flowery. They have really good product and they deliver. Um, I, I tend not to say many things negative about them, but their delivery is a pain in the ass because they don't get to me until because they start in Jackson and they come down. They don't get to me between 5 30 and 7 which is the hardest time of the day for me because that's when i'm eating dinner with the family and then giving my kids baths and putting them to sleep so and i've asked for morning delivery i've asked for other days and they just they can't do it based because they have to hit so many houses and i'm on the return trip you know i've said hit me up at six o'clock in the morning on your way up to jacksonville like legit i'll wake up and get it because my kids are sleeping it's just easier for me to do that transaction um so people are trying to cover the state with delivery hubs but i bet and I bet if a company like them just popped up all around Miami-Dade, they would be the dominant force there, especially with Without the brands that So like with you guys, yeah. like you will be the Tampa Bay company because people have that kind of odd sense of pride from where they're in, especially in a place like Tampa where it's like this is a Tampa born and bred cannabis company. This is where I buy my weed from. It's almost like made in the USA, right? They're going to feel more an affinity to a company that's local to them because it is local to them. Um, so I think it's a great idea. And then you have the ability, to, once you have that reputation of being the best in the Tampa area, you know, in, in Tampa, as you described it, that you can try other areas and you can be able to, to pop up there. It just goes back to traditional business. Do what you do really well in one space before you move into the next. Um, and, and that's what is, you know, I've talked to other companies. They think they can dominate the state with 10 stores spread out in centralized locations and doing delivery from it. Delivery only works if somebody went to the store first, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and we look at Starbucks, right? They've got a gajillion stores. Well, they can afford to do that because they can have across the street from each other because that's the traffic pattern that something has. Cannabis is a little bit different because it's a more expensive purchase than $5 every time. And people can't, to your point, that have kids at home or a family or they can't just say, hey, kids, stay in the car while I run in. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I don't want to really want to explain that to my 12-year-old. Um, what, what's going? Although they know, but you still don't want it to be in front of their face. Um, home delivery, you know, I, I saw some guys that were going to do home delivery that said um, they could put 50 trucks on the road for every two brick and mortar stores. 
Well, people still like to get out of the house and go shopping. Sometimes people like to not have someone pulling up Dude, their front there, door. There are people who hate buying cannabis because they can't look, touch, and smell it. You know, and yeah. then you're going to get them to just buy it off of a picture online. I mean, you know, right? Because so many of them have bought on the non-traditional market, you know, the non-legal market, and they got screwed over. And they're saying, I, I want to be able to touch it and smell it. And, you know, that's the deli style and going to the prepackaged packaging. And if you're going to have massive retail and you're going to do six or seven million dollars a year at a retail store, you can't slice the ham for everybody. <laughs> you know, you've got to have it prepackaged. I mean, go to Publix now, right? You go to their board set and they have half pounds of stuff already prepackaged for you rather than having to wait in line. So um, for speed, you've got to have prepackaged products. Mm hmm. Agree yeah. with that. I mean, that's that, that's something we actually. So when when Heisman opened up in the state of Oregon, we were one of the very few prepackaged companies, but we actually had to adjust our business model where we would send a couple ounces in deli style jars just so people can use that for display purposes and mm -hmm. smell it and taste it and do whatever they want. But they ended up getting prepackaged, so it was almost we sent display units. Um, and we would have to rotate those out every so often. And we would also send empty packaging. So eventually they can sell it out. So it wasn't just wasted products, but we had to kind of adjust, but we didn't want to change our business model to adjust to the market because we knew that it was only a matter of time before deli style started dying out because it's not good for the plant. It, it's much better when you pack it fresh, seal it, and you're going to save a lot more in it because every time you're opening that jar terps, you're losing flavor, you're using terps, you're losing all of that. So um, I know we can't really do that in Florida, but I, I think the business model that you guys are putting forth is, is a very smart one. I also believe, you know, for the longest time I, I saw, there's so many people that are focusing on the can of curious and the can of curious never really came in, but they're focusing on the can of curious with all these alternate products that people are unaware of drinks, tinctures, sprays, weird shit, right? I think there is a huge group of people out there that had an experience with cannabis at one point in their life. Maybe it wasn't a good experience or a bad experience, but they're ready to try it again for one reason or another. And I believe that the dispensary experience is very important to that because we have to re-educate folks on today's cannabis. Because all of us, prior to you know more recent times, when you bought weed, you bought weed. Like you just bought a bag of weed from a guy. Uh, maybe he called it something. Maybe he told you what the strain was. If you're a real connoisseur, you probably knew a really good guy who can give you the details. But you didn't have a website like Leafly that you can go on and find out the terpene profile and the THC percentages. And you didn't have COAs and things like that. So now that cannabis is really becoming more of a CPG product or similar to alcohol in that sense, I do believe that the education process is extremely important to being able to get people comfortable with the cannabis that they're consuming. I don't know if you guys feel the well, same way. No, Todd, you're 100%. We have an employee, Vanessa Vitsium, who is in patient outreach. That's all she does. She goes for our products and goes to um, dispensaries and educates the bud tenders on what our products do, what, what, what they are, why they're different from somebody else. I don't want us to get in the business of ours is better, ours is no, no. Here's what separates us. We... You know, our tinctures, we use these oils that we don't use alcohol or whatever it might be that separates us. We want to educate people and you can create all the pamphlets in the world. You can create all the websites you want. You still need a human being to go out there and shake hands and kiss babies. And we feel that it's important. Go to Apple. When you go to Apple and you buy a laptop, those people that work at Apple know what they're talking about. They're, they're users of the product. They're believers in the product. Maybe some of them are working there for the discounts on the product. But you can get educated there. And we feel that's important for what our Florida uh, business is going to be, which is we want people to come in and ask questions. We want to have somebody said to me recently, and they're, they're right, cookies, which has done a phenomenal job. I mean, as a business guy, I look at it and go, wow, that's incredible. They, for they have so many, they have so many haters, but when they're the de facto standard, like they did. It's going to happen, right? Yep. And they are... But they, what they've really done is a great job of that 18 to, say, late 20s, early 30s, right? My mom may not feel comfortable walking into a cookie store. A 78-year-old woman's like, ah, I don't maybe don't like the music. I don't like whatever. So you've got to understand what your consumer is going to be. And your 18 to 28 is going to find you if you've got really good flour. They're going to find you if you've got really good stuff. You've got to figure out a way, what does that 28 to 45 look like? What does that 45 to 75 look like? Because especially in Florida, it doesn't have the youngest population in the world. There is a substantial 55 and over 
look at the villages, 55 and older that aren't looking to go die right now. They're saying, hey, I want to live my life. I'm... (laughs) I have no problem smoking cannabis and enjoying my day. And I was about to wrap this up, but you kind of just touched on another topic that I think is really important. Um, a, I, I really was under the impression that you were going to get your your mom Burner's new album for Christmas. But I guess <laughs> yeah, not. yeah, I already, um, already downloaded it for him. Yeah, Yo Gotti, <laughs> coming to store soon. Um, but, you know, I, I saw a post the other day, and I, I think it was Gontrepreneur, but they were saying that baby boomers is the biggest group of people that are adopting cannabis at an exponential rate, right? Um, and baby boomers have been a they very, got the money. yeah, they've been a very and big source nesters, of income and they have the most disposable income. Yep. So all of a sudden you have this huge group of baby boomers coming in. And my, my thesis about them is they have had experiences with cannabis, but just not a while, or at least not consistently. Right. So now we have to educate them. Just what I said before on the new cannabis. Yes, it's the same shit, but we know the general public knows more about it not the people who are specialists right so it's very easy and this is something i'd love to get your opinion on because it's actually something i might be working on here i always tell people when you're new to cannabis or you're just getting back into cannabis the best way to figure out what you like is to journal because i have so many friends who say i don't know how you do this when you smoke i don't know how you can smoke and go to a party i just get couch locked or i i don't know how you could you know, do your job after consuming weed. And I'm like, well, there are certain parts of my job that I can do, especially when I need to be creative, that I I do better on it, right? And I think it's because people don't realize that different strains and different types of products affect you differently and how you're going to benefit or not benefit from it. Because I won't say that everything is an enhancer. So to me, I believe if someone took a journal, whether that's an app on your phone or a physical journal and said, okay, yesterday I consumed this strain. These are the details on it. And this is how I felt after you've gone through enough strains, you can go back and look and be like, Hmm, everything I really enjoyed was limonene heavy. Maybe when I look for strains, I should just focus on strains and limonene in them because I tend to enjoy those. And then people will have a much better experience long-term with cannabis because they're going to start buying what they like. It's like when you like wine and you know that you like a Malbec, you're going to tend to buy more Malbecs. Yeah, you'll go outside of that based on recommendations and everything else. But you know, if you buy a nice Malbec, chances are you're going to enjoy it and you're not going to be upset about it. And I truly think as mundane as that is for most people, it is the best way for people to get familiar with cannabis and what they enjoy and how they enjoy it. And that goes back to the bud tender asking questions. When somebody comes in and says, what are you looking to do? I can't sleep at night. Okay, here's some ideas. Here's some of this. It's what are you looking to do? And I think to your point, a journal is a great idea. And being around some cannabis people that have been in there for 15, 20 years, they know what terpenes mean. Well, the average person doesn't even know that, the new person. Lemonine, they're like, what is that? What are you you talking about? And you can have all the charts you want. You walk in every dispensary, they've got the chart. But no one's paying attention to it. They want to go talk to a human being. You know, we're at Home Depot. I don't want to walk around all the aisles. I just want to know where the screwdrivers are. So um, go to aisle 37. Thank you very much. And the next time I come, if I'm looking for a tape measure, I'll ask that question. So I think that having educated people representing your brand is the key. And you've got to invest in them. You've got to invest in these people because they're your first line. No different than the restaurant bar business. The bartenders and the servers are going to hear things that me as the owner, I'm never going to hear. I walk by a table. Everything's great. But they're going to tell the server or bartender something differently. Yeah. And so having those people being educated so that they can answer those questions. And for the most part, what I've seen, bud tenders are lifestyle people. They are cannabis lifestyle people. This isn't just a job. This is a lifestyle for them. Yeah. So they, it's like a designer, again, working at Apple. They want the best computer and the best software and all that stuff because it's what they do. It, their, their job and their hobby are not much different. Apart. So yeah. education is a big part. I know you said you want to wrap it up, but we've enjoyed this, by the way. Thank you yeah. so much for having us on here. I mean, great. I want to wrap it up. You guys, you guys are the ones who I believe are more <laughs> on the time limit than me. But the last thing I'll say, it's funny. You know, I look at we look at the different markets with cannabis and everything else. And this is, this was more applicable something you said back in the day, but when we look at the Florida lifestyle and how cannabis integrates it versus other States, you know, it's funny. I noticed myself in different areas consuming differently. Right. I told you I was just in Tampa Bay uh, with a friend. We were staying at the Vinoy and you know, one of the things I noticed about myself is I would smoke on the way to and from dinner and we were walking right along the, the Marina there going to the restaurants that are outside the Vinoy. And it was a nice, 
slow, relaxing, peaceful, calm walk, smoking, enjoying the scenery, enjoying the water and everything else. And it's really, you know, to me, that's the Florida way of life with cannabis integrated into it, even though, you know, I was there for a professional setting, it was a great way to disconnect. Whereas like when I go to Manhattan and I'm smoking in Manhattan, I'm literally smoking a joint like a cigarette either out on the street corner trying to get through it to get back to what i'm doing or i'm smoking it walking from one meeting to another and it's much more of a i'm using cannabis to to keep me more in the florida mindset than that new york hustle mindset so i think it's funny too like i think people from florida who start companies here will understand how to relate to their clients better than outsiders, because it's just a certain way that we integrate into our way of life here. Cause it's just part of not just the cannabis culture, but the Florida cannabis culture specifically. I agree. So, all right, cool guys. Well, I've had you for over an hour here. Um, I know that we've taken a lot of your time. If there's anything that any of you guys want to get out there as far as promotions, websites, emails, or anything else before we get going, uh, Chris, let's plug your firm one more time. Thank you so much for bringing these guys in. It's been a great conversation. I love this. And, you know, hopefully we'll be singing around C-Lab more. So, Chris, definitely plug your firm. And if you guys want to plug anything else, now would be the time. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, my firm is Cherry Becker LLP. Very easy website www.cbh.com. We have a whole uh, section page on our uh, cannabis advisory practice um, that you can look into. You will see my uh, my beautiful mug on there um, as the leader of the group. Um, <clears throat> but again, thank you for having us um, and, and putting this together. I thought it was a great oh, conversation. We, we will do it again at the grand opening of the first Florida store. Absolutely. The group, we'll, one we'll, or the other. We'll, yeah, we'll make sure you're, the, you're on the invite. So doing the the plug uh, again. I'm Dallas Owens. The, the, our website is deltaoilco.com. So D-E-L-T-A-O-I-L-C-O.com. Um, you can email me at Dallas at deltaoilco.com. Anybody has any questions, or if we can help with anybody, I enjoy helping other companies too. Um, they we get to learn from them, so it's interesting to hear what other people do. Uh, Michael, do you want to give your email address out? Yeah, sure. It's mju at deltaoilco.com. But I guess Mike takeaway i don't want to plug anything but everything we do from management down to the retail level when we do that it's a hybrid approach and um you know we're probably gonna uh, show up to your party and we're gonna go find the details and uh for, i'm gonna plug canvas lab all right <laughs> exactly Check us out at joincelab.com. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me today. It has been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to having you guys in our state, having some more great cannabis here. Thank you to everybody at home for watching. Um, I I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, but as I realize this, you will not see this till after Thanksgiving. We're recording this the day of Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everybody enjoyed their walks outside with cousins or to walk the dogs. So this way they can get properly medicated before they have their turkey. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope the conversation around cannabis at the Thanksgiving table is a much friendlier one this year. It is certainly better than recommending Bitcoin to your family again after everything that's happened. <laughs> Folks, this has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Come check us out at the C-Lab holiday party. Join C-Lab.com. If you missed this interview or any part of this interview, you want to check it out again, find us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, we're right next to Joe Rogan, folks. You can see us there. And then if you want to check out the video version of the podcast, of course, it is YouTube.com slash Elevate Your Grind or YouTube.com slash At The Cannabis Lab. We'll see you next week, folks.